Welcome to another episode of the Worklife Podcast. To find out more about the Worklife Hub and to listen to other episodes, please go to www.worklifehub.com. Welcome to another episode of the Worklife Hub Podcast. I am your host, Agnes Uheretsky. If this is the first time that you are tuning in, let me just say a few words about this podcast. We speak to authors, researchers, business thought leaders, for them to share their knowledge and insight on work-life balance, leadership, culture change and organizational development. In our work at the Worklife Hub, we help companies reform their workplace to create a culture that embraces diversity and work-life balance. We are passionate about building vibrant and engaging workplaces that are great for employees and customers. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can do this via Twitter at WorkLifeHub, on our LinkedIn page or on our website. We're always happy to hear how you like the podcast or any other ideas that you would like to share with us. And now, on with the show. Welcome to the listeners of the Work Life Podcast. This is your host, Agnes Uheretsky. And today I'm so thrilled to be joined by Carmen Niethammer. And she's joining me via Skype from Washington, D.C. Hi, Carmen. Um, hi, Agnes. Thanks very much for the invitation. I'm really happy to finally get the chance to record uh, this podcast with Carmen, whom I had the pleasure of meeting um, a year ago in Washington, D.C., And just as a way of introduction, so Carmen is employment lead at the Gender Secretariat of the IFC, which is the International Finance Corporation, and we'll get back to what this institution is about. And um, she has been working uh, for this institution for a while now and alternating between assignments in Washington and also very exciting places like Egypt and Yemen and Brazil. And... She's mainly responsible for the uh, work on She Works initiative and other gender-related, employment-related work. But without me going further into this, may I ask you, Carmen, to tell listeners a little bit about yourself, about your career, your passion, and exactly what is your role and what is uh, the IFC and also what is the links between gender employment and the IFC? Agnes, you're wonderful to um, invite me and to share um, our story and our work that I'm indeed very passionate about. Um, to tell you a little bit about myself, you can probably tell I'm German, um, given my accent. And I actually um, studied economics um, and um, at some point wanted to become an energy oil economist and um, study the Middle East. And um, as my first assignment, my real first job was in Yemen, I actually lived in a gender segregated society. And um, when the World Bank hired me um, years later, they saw that I should work on a, a gender strategy for the Middle East and North Africa because obviously I had lived in a society like that and would be able to um, add value. And I must say, initially, I felt a little bit um, unsure whether, you know, with my oil background and economics background, I really wanted to uh, get into the gender field. Clearly, I had worked on um, gender before. But I think my passion for this entire topic came about that I was able to integrate um, gender from an opportunity perspective in the in the work that um, the World Bank was doing, and I continued doing that throughout my career. And that is to identify opportunities where 
both um, governments, employers, uh, societies, um, and everybody really benefits by investing better in um, women and girls. And so that has been the story for um, most of my career, really. And that's why I'm excited to be doing what I'm doing, because we can you know, communicate the um, opportunities and then um, measure the impact afterwards. And that has been very rewarding. In terms of um, IFC and what IFC does, so IFC is the uh, what we call the private sector arm of the World Bank Group, um, just how the World Bank um, gives um, loans to governments. IFC makes investment in private sector companies around the world. At any point in time, there's probably um, 2,000 investments that we have as private sector companies in emerging markets. And uh, the team here, the IFC Gender Secretary, that's what we call ourselves, we work with our uh, colleagues in identifying um, gender smart solutions. So what does gender smart mean? We look to um, help companies identify how they can better um, focus and invest in women um, while reaping business benefits. And so um, we do that across several segments. Um, there's a large group of companies that is looking to um, increase uh, gender diversity in their leadership and in their boards. Um, and that is work that we do with our corporate governance unit, um, mostly. Um, then we work um, with uh, women entrepreneurs or through financial institutions to um, increase women entrepreneurs um, in the different markets that we work in. That is typically work where we um, work with financial institutions to uh, better online finance, but also build the capacity of women entrepreneurs. And um, then we work um, on the topic of women as consumers. Again, that is um, often work also on entrepreneurs in value chains, but it can also be work um, as relating, for example, to women having better access to um, energy efficient uh, products. And we work uh, with women as um, stakeholders overall to so make sure that they are um, being consulted when it comes to public-private partnerships, for example. And then the work that I'm doing is um, focusing on women as employees. And I hope we have an opportunity to talk more about that in detail. Absolutely. And, and thank you so much for giving us a little glimpse into your um, career. I, I find that uh, quite often with the guests uh, on our podcast, um, they have sometimes accidentally become what they are and what they're really good at and what they're really passionate about. So it's, it's also great to hear your, your story of, of your career and, and also for this introduction to the IFC. And indeed, I think the time we have here is really an opportunity to focus on um, advancing opportunities for women for their employment and integration to the labor market. And then we'll also maybe tackle a little bit the barriers that women face in accessing quality employment or sustainable employment. And, and I just must say that the IFC has a number of publications and, and there is one particularly on women uh, and employment, uh, which is, I think, so comprehensive. Um, and we'll share the link to that publication in the write-up of the podcast because it, it really tackles through a lot of examples the fantastic business benefits of uh, having women uh, inside the workforce, even in sectors like mining and manufacturing and transportation, which are not naturally seen as women's jobs or, or even, you know, some people would think, oh, those are definitely not women's jobs. But I really like the way that publication has already 
explained what are some of the business benefits and and why as well with technology and changes it makes absolute business sense to boost the participation of women there and maybe going into the 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 she works initiative a little bit which is this global private sector partnership of the 13 companies that have pledged these gender smart um, commitments would you just like to introduce listeners a little bit to how this came about and and which countries and maybe just a couple of uh, countries and a couple of companies that are on board it would be a pleasure yes um, how did we come to think about uh, she works well you might be familiar with our previous work that was called um, investing in women uh, winvest that was a partnership of 15 companies and there we really focused on establishing the business case for uh, what we call gender smart solutions in employment so how could companies uh, measure the impact on their bottom line by having had a particular um, action and initiative in place and going backwards um, in terms of uh, measuring uh, yeah, business benefit results. And so that, so for that, we had contacted companies that had already done something and then we uh, assessed um, the benefits that occurred today, um, until today. Um, and then had this wonderful publication. It was great. Um, but what we realized is that most companies um, that we deal with in, in our universe, um, they are often um, quite convinced of the potential business case um, for gender equality at the workplace um, and making already efforts in terms of better recruiting and retaining and or promoting uh, women in the labor force. But what companies really were struggling with was, you know, figuring out how do I go about it? And not only how do I go about it, but how do I go, it, go about it in the most uh, effective way? Um, you may have, um, you may be familiar, or the listener on this call may be uh, familiar with um, the research that the World Economic Forum has um, uh, published, whereby it would take, the, you know, the world 170 years to reach gender equalities. And so... Yeah. Um, companies also, they don't want to like, you know, do uh, go into, you know, testing and um, figuring out, you know, does this work, does this not work. They were really looking for some really established good practices on how to get there um, um, faster. And so this is where she works and really start focusing on the how. And what we ask companies to do is, um, and we were already working with companies that were already um, leaders in their in their field to some extent, to work with us for two years um, and helping other companies that had put out um, three commitments to advance women in, in, the, in the workforce um, and to basically have like a, a peer-to-peer learning experience, right? So what de facto ended up happening is that we had companies that were already really fantastic in terms of, um, for example, women's leadership. They would be able to then also advise companies that were just starting that journey. Um, or companies that already had fantastic anti-sexual harassment, um, effective grievance mechanism in place to really help those companies that were trying to make their mechanism more effective um, to, to get there faster again. And um, similarly, we had other companies that were looking to uh, recruit uh, recruit women and or even, you know, come up with, you know, good um, M&E frameworks in terms of their sustainability um, reports to really learn from those that were already doing that well. And so these, um, these 13 companies then um, got together and some of the big names that people are probably familiar with are um, SAP, um, Gap, the, the closing retailer. Um, we worked with um, with Intel. We worked with Orido, the um, telecom company. 
um, some private sector clients in emerging markets uh, that were also leaders in their field, such as uh, Kuwait Energy. Coca-Cola, of course, is another one that, that's quite renowned. But we all shared our, um, our experiences, our best practices, and further built on them and really helped companies achieve their individual commitments, so areas that they hadn't yet previously worked on. And it was um, a tremendous uh, success, um, I think, from, from our IFC gender secretariat perspective, because we kept people engaged over a period of uh, two years and um, de facto had an impact on the lives of more than 300,000 uh, women employees um, when we closed the partnership uh, last September. Now, I think that is absolutely a fantastic number. I was quite surprised when I was preparing for this podcast and, and reading uh, again um, about this, um, these, these figures. And to really maybe illustrate um, in quite a a real way to maybe get listeners would you mind sharing just just one example one or two examples that particularly stood out or spoke to you um in exactly what companies learned from each other or how they approached um this issue yeah so we always um reported and this was one of our commitments to the group actually we always report our results at the group um level because we didn't want to out anybody so like we didn't want to out any companies mm -hmm. in terms of like oh we're working on you know uh you know getting better at women's leadership because that might de facto signal that you know they haven't yet worked on it before and so we didn't mm -hmm. want to out uh, companies and i probably will not um, talk about a specific uh, company example right here but i can tell you on how we have taken some of that learning from within the group to IFC client companies um, in parallel. Um, and so, for example, what we have realized in our SheWork partnership is that quite a few of gender challenges, right, um, are often not even gender challenges. They're not specific to women. They're often just, you know, main human resource um, challenges. Mm -hmm. um, but by being able to see whether uh, women or men are more impacted by a particular challenge that then um, helps companies really um, advance uh, women, but at, at the same time, all of them, right? So we have, for example, done some really um, fascinating mm -hmm. work in the Pacific um, that is being led by my uh, colleague, Amy Lundstra, and she has worked with um, a tuna company and a catering company in the Pacific and, um, you know, being able to address challenges such as um, absenteeism and turnover, you know, like uh, why were people not able to show up for work or why did they not stay mm -hmm. with the company for a long time? Um, and so some of the solutions that we were able to further expand on and we had, you know, already played with them, so to speak, in the SheWorks partnership were things like um, financial literacy. Um, companies, um, uh, you know, or employees not being able to manage their salaries very well um, throughout the course of, uh, of the months and, you know, what impact that had yeah. in terms of their ability to show up at work um, on time and um, every single day. Other issues were, you know, related to um, sexual harassment and um, gender-based violence. And again, engaging um, with that effectively with employees, um, both women and men, made a huge difference in terms of uh, women um, being willing to stay at work and um, remain at work and then, you know, even come back after a maternity uh, return, after the maternity return um, leave. So there's, there's so many different things that we often think about that are just like, you know, women's issues, but they're often um, issues that um, affect everybody. Absolutely. And, 
And when we were discussing our podcast and preparing for a little bit, we we were also saying that we would want to talk about childcare. Is this something that the SheWorks partners have found that the lack of available childcare or or not flexible enough childcare solutions were perhaps some of the barriers in advancing women's employment? Um, it's a it's a good um, question and definitely a topic that we have been advancing over the last two years um, quite a bit. Um, and again, the advantage is that in SheWorks, we worked with um, so many um, different companies in different markets, in different countries, where they also face different regulatory frameworks, right? Um, mm-hmm. And it's not just the childcare topic that comes into place, but it's also the topic of maternity leave, paternity leave and parental leave that, you know, uh, helps cover, so to speak, the time between um, the birth of a child and, um, you know, the time that they are eligible for formal schooling. So typically the first three years, um, definitely, of of a child's uh, life. And um, having worked also with, with, you know, global companies, they then also face these um, nuances and differences in the different countries that they operate in and can tell and experience how one has to, you know, basically from an employer perspective, um, opt up in terms of um, all of these different um, supports that can be made available uh, to employees. We were very keen on, and we are still very much keen on not making this issue a women's issue or not framing it as a women's issue because it really affects everyone. It affects young parents. Um, Often men want to be more involved in that space as well. Um, but what we have realized is that um, uh, childcare support and childcare solution does not have to start and end with uh, maternity, paternity, parental leave and or on-site crash support. But that um, in the work that we have doing through yet another partnership called Tackling Childcare, that there is so many different ways in which um, employers support their employees. So it could be something as small as just having a referral service for parents um, and, and you know, figuring out where they might want to send their children. It could be yeah. as big as having a mm. full-fledged crash um, on the side. It could be um, a public-private partnership with the community. It could be you know, making um, existing community-supported childcare uh, services even better by just providing better facilities or, you know, furniture or books or whatever it is. Um, and different companies will have different business drivers and therefore also different solutions on how they want to um, to, to, to support their uh, employees further. And so that is something that definitely we are learning quite a bit about. Um, and hopefully that research will also become available in the next few months. Um, And it's not just important research for employers, but also for governments alike, because we find um, through our research and our work uh, with governments, and that's where we're proud to be part of the World Bank Group, that often governments um, have regulations on the books that are not necessarily um, incentivizing um, employers to to want to be in that space, right? And Mm. so our Women Business and the Law team has been looking at a range of uh, regulatory um, items that can make that whole process easier and at the end of the day, benefit children, benefit parents, benefit employers, benefit communities and the overall economy. So it can be a win-win-win, triple-win, quadruple-win situation for all. Absolutely. Now, you said something that I would like to pick up on. Um, Please. You mentioned about, which is, I think, a very, very important topic, and I just find it's not discussed um, often enough in a public uh, space is the fact that more the, these multinational companies have 
um, their branches or their plants in different countries of operations. And then they have, they're faced with very, very different contexts, uh, regulatory frameworks, but also very different um, cultural and normative behavioral context. And I think especially in terms of women and childcare, there's still a lot of differences between the countries in terms of um, what does it mean to be a working mother? What does it mean to be a working father? And all these different gender bias. And what was this something that the companies in the She Works partnership would also discuss and, and exchange on? Um, most definitely, because um, again, you have those multinational companies that have, you know, operations in the Far East, in the Middle East, and, you know, in Latin America. And so they would want to, uh, they were, we are very eager to exchange, particularly with local companies, as to what their solutions were. But I want to actually not limit that, that constraint to just, um, you know, uh, having uh, different country presence for companies. Often it can be something very simple as, you know, being a bank in one country, a national bank in one country with, you know, you know, more than, I don't know, uh, 1,500 branches all over the country, right? So they might be able to support the headquarters staff in the capital um, relatively easily, um, even when it comes to childcare support. But then when it comes to, you know, local mm -hmm. rural, you know, uh, branches, you know, how do you then scale that? And so yeah. the companies have to be flexible and think about how they also uh, offer their employees um, benefits that are fair, that are applicable uh, across or if or that they are varied, but at the end of the of the day still um, achieve the um, the same objective, right? So we have seen that quite a bit that companies are struggling with that. Do they then deliberately try to ensure that these um, rural or other co country branches or locations that they have similar benefits, or to make sure that it's fair across the board? Or is there some example that that comes to mind when? how they have solved that, for example? Yeah, so we have um, just recently uh, conducted some research with an IT company in, in India. Um, and mm -hmm. of course, IT is um, in many cases also work that is um, taking place um, in, in night shifts, right? And so in the big hubs, in the big IT hubs, um, mm -hmm. companies um, offer, for example, uh, crashes on their on their sites, which in, in other smaller cities, which they're still um, large cities, I mean, every city is, uh, you know, compared to, depending on, you know, how we define large and small, but in smaller yeah. in smaller um, locations, um, they then, you know, uh, partner up with the childcare provider and, you know, reserve space um, in certain um, locations, for example. Um, and others, they will just reimburse uh, parents for their for their costs, um, um, including when it happens at, at night, right? When they, when people have to find um, childcare support mm -hmm. at night. So companies are very flexible to um, meet the different um, needs of of their employees. Absolutely, and 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 I think the pro, pro, perhaps the message, the 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 takeaway here is that every company can do something. You may not have the ideal conditions, and you may not have. You may not be able to give everything to your employees, but everybody can do something. And there's always a way to find, um, to mobilize resources and, and, to, and to support um, working parents or working carers or practically the entire workforce in this. 
Yeah, and I think your point is exactly right. Um, I think one of the most innovative and um, probably very soon award-winning um, initiatives that I have seen coming out of um, Italy is where a company is, and it's also a tackling childcare um, partner, is where they where they really give employees the choice to decide what is it that you need um, most help with, right? So you will have some employees that need support with elder care. Um, there's others that have young children. Um, yet others uh, are really struggling with, uh, you know, work-life balance or, you know, flexibility. Um, we call it work-life uh, fit, actually, um, that need to have different uh, working schedules. Um, others are really um, having difficulties maintaining um, a healthy uh, work-life. Yeah. Um, and so what they're supporting is, you know, more support to gym classes or, you know, activities that will allow the the um, employees to stay uh, mentally fit and physically fit. And so there are so many different ways uh, that um, I think the employer shouldn't just assume. And that's probably one of the largest messages that I can only let um, or leave, leave um, listeners with, that, you know, don't just assume, check. Check what your employees really need. And maybe it's not even a benefit. Maybe they would just be so happy if they had safer transport or maybe they would just be happier if the food in the cafeteria was better, right? So don't assume, you know, ask, triple check and then figure out, you know, where your um, where your investments take you the furthest. Absolutely. And, and I mean, we know from other research that um, just already asking employees uh, really already improves engagement scores if they feel that they're being treated as adults and their opinions and their needs are taken into account. I mean, then they know that they won't get everything. Not everybody will work all of a sudden in Google type offices, but at least being asked and being respected and consulted is, I think, already a great sign of maturity uh, within a company. Now, Carmen, because time always goes way too fast on these uh, podcasts, before we go to the last question, may I just ask you to tell listeners a website where they can find uh, all these wonderful publications that uh, you have been mentioning? Um, it would be a pleasure. Um, yes. So most of our um, work, including on entrepreneurship and um, consumers and stakeholders and, and obviously also on employees, can be found at www.ifc. That's I and then F as in Frank, C as in, um, uh, C as in Carmen, dot <laughs> org um, forward slash um, gender. Um, and so that's probably the best place where one can find um, up to date research and um, any other initiatives that are taking place. Thank you very much for, for sharing this. And we'll also put, of course, the link uh, next to the podcast on our website. Um, and now coming to the last question, Carmen, which is always the same on the Work-Life podcast. If I could ask you to give one advice to a CEO where they could start with thinking about gender-smart initiatives, where they could start in thinking about their employees and their employees' well-being, maybe even in general, based on your really wealth of experience, what would you say would be your advice? Um, here's where my economist background comes back in. Um, I would always start looking at the numbers, number one. Um, so definitely do uh, a gender assessment. It doesn't have to be you know, super long or very extensive or very expensive 
but definitely, uh, you know, look at the numbers and figure out whether there is indeed, um, you know, differences between women and men um, in terms of their um, employment at the company, in terms of promotions, in terms of employee um, feedback, um, etc. And then um, look at some of the just very regular, you know, employee st employment statistics and compare yourself with your competitor, um, because that will um, help any CEO, any leadership um, to figure out whether they're leading or whether they're lagging behind. Um, and that might be a little bit of a challenge um, only because um, often that information might not be, the information on the competitors might not be readily available. But then, you know, even working with an industry association to, you know, maybe conduct a quick survey can benefit all. We did that, um, for example, in Brazil with the real estate sector where we worked with 17 companies just on some very basic statistics, how many women in leadership, how many uh, women in, in mid-management, how many uh, women um, employees on, um, as in the construction workforce, and then some of the um, employment practices. You know, does the company offer anything in terms of flexible working, uh, childcare support, anything on, uh, you know, breastfeeding rooms, anything in terms of sexual harassment mechanisms. And that just, you know, within, you know, a few days um, allowed companies to um, compare themselves and really figure out, is this something that is needed? Are they leading or are they lagging? Mm -hmm. And that really helped companies quite a bit. I think that's absolutely brilliant advice. And I can say that after 75 episodes, this is the first one that um, I've heard of this kind. So um, very, very pragmatic and practical approach. Um, for companies to understand where they're at and be able to benchmark themselves. And if they're lagging, then perhaps it's really time to to look at, uh, you know, what they're doing wrong or what they're not doing and, and Im improve on that front. So great advice. And thank you so much, Carmen, for taking the time, coming on the podcast and sharing um, your knowledge and your insight about the SheWorks initiative and also other initiatives of the IFC and I wish you really the best of success for your work in the future. It is so much appreciated Agnes. Thanks so very much for getting us together globally so to speak with um, all of your energy to make these podcasts a success. <laughs>